uh, while we're getting Bibles into people's hands. Mark chapter 2 is where we are today. Please turn there in your Bibles. Let's pray. Lord, today is a day of celebration. We see that uh, you have promised that if we would give ourselves to the apostles' doctrine, to studying, to teaching, to learning, um, to the breaking of bread, uh, to fellowship, and to prayer, and, and, and if the love truly exists that you died for us to have dwelling in us and coming out of us, if those things exist, then you would add to your church daily those that are being saved. And so, Lord, today we're thankful for those that have been saved, are being saved, and have yet to be saved due to uh, people in this community sharing their faith, sharing the truth about Jesus Christ with one another. So, Lord, we celebrate as we get into your word. Uh, we're just so thankful because there's so many misconceptions and so many misunderstandings about you and about religion, about a relationship. Uh, just a, everything is so modeled with confusion, Lord. Thank you that your word just cuts through it all. As we come back, and we don't need all this other stuff, we just, just to hear your voice and to know your heart in your word, uh, that's what, we, that's what we, we lean on, Lord. Thank you so much for giving us your word, revealing yourself to us. It's in your name we pray, and all God's thankful people said, amen. amen. Now, I think I would be pretty safe um, to say that I, there, I'm probably not the only one that looks around at the world and says, Things are so complicated. Would you agree with that? Does that ever frustrate anybody else? I mean, we just bought, we, we've had a water cooler, one of those ones you get at Lowe's, and it's got the hot, instant hot water, instant cold water, and you put the big thing on top, you know, the big water jug. We've had one of those for like the last six years in our house. It's been great. Well, it just broke. So I had to go get a new one. Well, of course, the new ones now don't have two knobs, hot and cold. They have three, hot, cool, and cold. To me, that's just one more knob to break, right? But I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, now, who, clearly the people designing this stuff don't use it because the person that uses it recognizes that they can mix hot and cold and get cool without another button. So I, this is things I just look at. I don't know, why are we making things more complicated? And then wouldn't it be nice if all of our electronic devices used the same plug? I mean, I got, you go somewhere and you've got to have 16 electronic devices and five different plugs, and then you've got to find a place to plug them in, and it's just so frustrating. And then everything that we have elected that's electronic needs some kind of passcode to get into it. And the password has to be complicated enough that no one else can figure it out. The problem is it's complicated enough that I can't figure it out. And I spend half the day trying to figure out what my passcode is. And it frustrates me. It's complicated. And I just look at the world and I shake my head. But then the problem is, whenever humans are involved, and we're, we, we seem to like to make things complicated, and that happens in church too, doesn't it? Don't we see that religion gets complicated? And because humans are involved, and simple rules aren't good enough, we need more rules. And, and then there's confusion as we begin to compare ourselves to other religious people, and let me, allow me, I know it's a relationship with Christ, but allow me to use the word religion, because uh, that's what we're talking about here, religion versus relationship. Um, there's a lot of religious complication and a lot of religious confusion when we begin to compare ourselves to, to other people. So we might ask the question, you know, why do we at Calvary Chapel fully dunk people, immerse people for baptism, but other churches sprinkle? Is there one way that's right or wrong? Why do some feel it's only right to dress up for church while we come casually? I mean, are we somehow missing it by dressing casually? Is the right thing to do to dress up for church? Why do we gather on Sunday 
But other people say that Saturday is the only correct day to worship. Why do some denominations follow strict food laws while we pretty much enjoy eating anything? Why do we use grape juice for communion and others use wine? Why do some people pray with their hands lifted up and other people pray with their eyes closed and their heads bowed? And so as we compare, like, well, what do you guys do? What do you guys do? We can go, well, well who's right? Who's wrong? Where's the... And it can be confusing, especially if we begin to find uh, our rightness before God in those rituals that we do. So in Mark chapter 2, of course, Jesus' presence is causing a lot of religious confusion and causing a lot of religious questions. So in Mark chapter 2, uh, we, we left off with the call of Matthew uh, and, and Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, and they had a problem with that. Jesus was eating with the wrong kind of people in their eyes. And it's interesting that Matthew would go on to record that, um, that Jesus was, was by some called a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And he's causing problems because he's not doing, he's, he's not doing what they think he should be doing. And so these two questions arise at the end of Mark chapter 2. Uh, the first section is a question about fasting, and the second is a question about the Sabbath. And, and beyond, you know, fasting and the Sabbath, they might not mean as much to us, but the question beyond this is how do we sort out confusion about religious rituals? How do we? And I love this because Jesus just simplify, simplifies things. The Word of God, in, an, in a nutshell, we can make it really complicated, but the basics about the Word of God are really pretty simple. Matter of fact, Paul boiled down, Jesus boiled down the greatest. You've got Ten Commandments. They say, well, Jesus, what's the greatest? Love God. Love your neighbors yourself. Break it down. To, let's, let's do two commandments. And then Paul would even break it down even further. What, how do you sum up the whole thing? You summed up in one word, love. And so we can complicate it. And the Pharisees were famous for having complicated God's word. God's word was so simply stated in a lot of ways. But the problem is when you are trying to measure your rightness with God by your perfection of keeping rituals and, and laws, you need to know exactly what, how to keep those so that you can know and measure that you are exactly right with God. They didn't do well with gray areas. They liked it black and white so that they could prove their righteousness with God by their external rituals. And some of those revolved around fasting, and some of those revolved around keeping the Sabbath. So they had piled on all of these man-made um, interpretations and man-made rituals to add to what God had originally said. So we'll, we'll unravel some of that as we go through. Uh, let's jump in there at um, verse 18, Mark chapter 2. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. Then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So this question about fasting comes up. Uh, people notice a discrepancy. The interesting thing is, who are they? Then they came and said to him. Well, it's clearly not the disciples of John or the, the Pharisees because they would have said, why do we and the Pharisees? Uh, and it's clearly not Jesus' disciples because he calls them, you know, he says to them, your disciples do not fast. If it was the disciples, they would have said, how come they fast and we don't, Jesus? Like, why, why aren't we doing what they do? So it was clearly someone else. These they, I believe, and the, the grammar would bear it out, 
if you go back up, you remember Jesus is at Matthew Levi's retirement party with tax collectors and sinners. And the grammar would indicate that this next section actually happens right during that time. So probably in the house there with Matthew, you've got the, the tax collectors, you've got Jesus, you've got the disciples, and these Pharisees are, are watching, these Pharisees are present, and they notice something. That there's this party going on, but certain guys aren't eating. The disciples of John and the Pharisees, they're abstaining from food for religious purposes. And, and yet Jesus' the disciples are chowing down. Someone can say amen to that. They're chowing down. And so the people that are watching, and this is what happens in the world today, the people that are watching look at what this church does and what that church does, and they say, you guys can't even figure it out yourselves. You know, why, why be saved? Because God's you know, clearly not, not communicated properly to all of you, you folks in church because none of you can agree on, on any of this stuff. And there's some, some 40,000 denominations around the world. But if you start to unravel that, you see that although there's 40,000 denominations, uh, the differences of doctrine are oftentimes very small. But nonetheless, people watch that stuff, and they have questions, don't they? And some of you may have questions about these things. So that's who the they are. The Pharisees and, and the disciples of John are fasting during this party, during this, this time when Jesus is ha- hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners. And so they, the question naturally comes up, why do they fast and your disciples don't? And the issue was, that they, why do they fast? And I think Matthew writes this, why do they fast often? Now, so that's a good question, isn't it? Why are they fasting? Because the Bible itself, God himself, only calls for one day a year of fasting. And that's the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And that's when the nation, it was time for a nationwide time of fasting. And the fasting was to represent a remorse over sin, a grief. So when you fasted, you know, you denied yourself of food for a 24-hour period and, you know, you didn't, you just, it just, you looked like you were grieving and sorrowful and repentant. And that was the only fast that was called for. But you know, in the eyes of the religious, if one is good, more is better. So the Pharisees had added days of fasting, mandatory days of fasting, Mondays and Thursdays. So it didn't matter how you felt, it was part of the schedule. You fast on Monday, not for 24, but for 12 hours, then you fast on Thursday for 12 hours, and those were the, the recognized, these are the days that we fast. It wasn't biblical, but this is what they did. This was practical. This was their practice. Now, Matthew would also go on to recognize that he would say to his disciples, when you fast, because Jesus fasted, it's not that fasting is wrong. And he would tell his disciples, when you fast, so fasting is a good, a biblical practice, but when you do, he said, don't do like the hypocrites do. Don't do it like the Pharisees do. Why? Because they do it to be seen by men. Their religious fasting was external. It was so that people would look at them because when they fasted, everybody knew it. They would go into work that day and they they hadn't showered. They hadn't brushed their teeth. They looked terrible. They were covered with ashes. And what's going on? I'm fasting today. I'm that dedicated to God. You know, notice that you're not fasting today, but I am. That's how much I, I love God. And this whole thing of, of, uh, of repentance and remorse all the time. And so they would fast twice a day. And it was all for the outward, all for the show, all to be recognized as spiritual men. And people bought it. Oh, those guys are really spiritual. Well, Jesus now is on the scene. And it's Monday or whatever day it is. It's one of the fasting days here when Matthew has the party. And 
Jesus' disciples are digging in. And this causes a discrepancy that Jesus then cuts through with a wonderful answer. Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? And don't think friends, don't think bridal party, think guests at the wedding. So when's the last time you've been at a wedding? I mean, weddings are a time of what? Mourning and fast? Well, maybe for some. <laughs> weddings are... <laughs> Help me out here. Weddings are a time of celebration. And especially if you've ever been to a Jewish wedding. Oh my goodness, they celebrate. And in this time, it would have been a week-long celebration. So when you show up at your friend's wedding, and they've, got, they've gone all out, they've got the fancy restaurant and all the food there, a buffet style. My, my uh, wife's, I guess it was her uh, niece, got married a number of years ago. And she married an Italian guy from New York. And I mean, this family, but it was a dessert buffet. I mean, there was, there was, we thought after the appetizer, the meal was over. But that was just the appetizer. And it just, the food just kept coming and coming and coming. And the dessert was just kept coming and coming. And it was so good. And, and now imagine if we had gone up there, and here we are to celebrate their wedding with them. And, and, and there I am going, no, I'm fasting, doing this for Jesus. I'm so spiritual. I can't, I can't, I can't celebrate with you guys because I'm fasting. No, that would, be, that would be wrong. That would be out of place. And so Jesus says, listen, can the, bride, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they can't fast. I mean, this is a time of joy and celebration. But he says the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So what's the bottom line? Look, let your outward um, practices match your inward feelings. I mean, don't do things just because the schedule says to do them. We, get, we fall into that in terms of religion. Re- you can define religion like this, doing the right thing, the right ritual, at the right time in the right way. That's religion. That's ritual. Doing the right ritual at the right time in the right way. And somehow doing those things gets us approved by God, even when it doesn't match the inside. So people ask, well, how do, you know, when we pray, what's the right posture for prayer? I mean, I know some people, they're like on their face crying before the Lord. Is that more spiritual? Or other people, well, they've got their hands lifted to God, you know, and they're, which is the right way? Both. Depends on how you feel. Are you feeling like, oh, God, you're so, you know, you just, oh, Lord, you're so great. You've been so good to me. Then, then raise your hands when you pray. Lord, thank you so much. I'm such a loser and you saved me. You know, whatever, you know, oh, just, you're celebrating today. But then other times you might come in and, you know, man, things, the bottom's dropping out. You lost your job and things are going, and you're just like, oh, what, have I, you know, what am I doing wrong? Why, why can't I get it together, Lord? Why, why are you doing this to me? And you just come in and you, and you, just, you just fall on your face, going, ah, have mercy on me, God. You know, doesn't it, have mercy, well, maybe you could have mercy on me, God. It depends on how you feel. It's Luke that tells the story of the, the, the sinner, the tax collector, and the Pharisee that both come to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee says, God, I'm thankful I'm not like that guy. I did pay my tithes, and I do what? And I fast twice a, twice a week. I fast. I'm doing my thing. I'm good with you, God. And then the, the, the camera pans over to the tax collector, and he can't even look up. He's, he's, just, he's on his knees, on his face, pounding his chest, asking, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And, and the question is asked, which one leaves justified before the eyes of God? And the answer, of course, is the one who came in asking for mercy. 
So what's the right posture for prayer? I don't know. It depends on how you feel. What's the, right, what's the right songs to sing? I don't know. It depends on how you feel. There's a place for lament and mourning. There's a place for dirges in, in the music of the church. And there's a place for songs of celebration. And so that's basically what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm not coming to, to fall into, remember, this is not the word of God. This is their rules. They made these up. And he says, I'm not coming to, to just kind of fall in line with what you guys say. Jesus is more concerned with what? What God says. And so he gives a couple more examples about this. Number one, he says, um, he gives the bridegroom example. The next one is a piece of unshrunk cloth. Look at verse 21. He says, look, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. So now we live in the days of pre-shrunk or pre-washed clothes. But there was a day, some of you remember a day, when there wasn't pre-washed jeans. And you'd, you'd have to figure out what size you'd need because it's going to shrink. And so you'd have to account for that. And so you'd wear the pants, the cloth, you'd wash it, and it would shrink. And then over time it would wear out, and then it would get fitted, get a hole. Now if you go and you get a piece of new cloth that's never been washed, and you sew it on to that old cloth that's already thin and already shrunk, and you put it in the wash, and when that, when that patch shrinks, what's going to happen? It's going to actually make the tear in the cloth worse. And so what Jesus is saying is what he's bringing is not just, a, a, he's not coming to put a patch on Judaism. He's coming to fulfill the law. He's coming to save us by grace and not by works. And you, the system of grace and the system of law are not compatible. They're not, the law was meant to make you and I recognize that we needed the grace. And now the bridegroom is here. You know, the, the celebration is happening. Jesus is in their midst. And instead of mourning, they should be celebrating. The Messiah has come. And there would be a day when they would mourn because he's going to be crucified. And that's a reason for mourning. But he, Jesus didn't come to just patch up Judaism. The church is made up of Jew and Gentile. He didn't come just to put a patch. He came in to usher in grace in the new covenant. So he gives another example no one puts, a, a new, puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. So both things are lost. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. So again, you have to know that in those days when they, made, uh, when they, when they held liquids, particularly wine, they would make a, a container uh, out of animal skin. And they'd sew this thing together, and then they'd fill it with the wine. And as the wine fermented, as the new wine fermented, it released gases and it would stretch the animal skin. And so by the time, you know, it, it stretched fully out, you drink the wine, then you've got this animal skin wine holder that is now fully stretched. If you fill that again with new wine, if you fill it full, and then it begins to stretch again, the new wine begins to ferment and the gases are released, what happens? It, it's going to break the wine skin. So when you have new wine, you need a new wine skin. And that's a great, another great example that Judaism in that day, the Pharisaic Judaism with all its rules and all its burdens and all the things that they had, all the, the additions they'd made to what the Word of God said um, had become a very stiff ritualistic system. And to bring grace and try to insert it into that old wineskin, it would, it would ruin both. Grace would get ruined and so would the law. I mean, you just can't have them compatible. So, there's a, there's a season Jesus is bringing for something new for them. Not Pharisaic Judaism, not an external form of religion, 
but he's ushering a relationship with God and grace and these things. There's a time in our lives, you know, I think one of the reasons Calvary Chapel, you guys know Calvary Chapel goes back to the hippie movement of the 60s and, and whatnot. And I think one of the things that's helped Calvary Chapel be successful is the wine has stayed the same. We've got the Word of God, the power of the Spirit. Those things, those things are non-negotiables. But sometimes the form has to change, right? And, and we can fall into the same trap of, of not being willing to expand. Well, and I, I mentioned it last week. Well, we don't want certain kind of people coming into our midst. Or, well, you know, we've got these rules like you've got to wear a suit if you come to church. Well, look, we minister to people that can't afford one and don't own one. So what are they supposed to do? See, if we can't expand to make room for people that don't wear suits, then what have we done? See, the new wine of grace sometimes takes a new system. And, you know, you look around the world and you go, wouldn't you love to fix the health care system? Wouldn't you love to fix this system? Or that system? But you realize, like, it's beyond, it's got its own life now. And to try to fix it is more, is, is more difficult than to just start over. Sometimes things can't be fixed, right? They won't be fixed because the people that are involved are already, they're already in the rut. And you can't get them out of it. It's too, it's too damaging to try to fix it. So you've got to start fresh. And so I think churches can fall into that same thing. Churches can get in such a deep rut of we've always done it that way. Matter of fact, uh, I think it's in Matthew, he makes mention the same story there's another verse about no one who drinks new wine uh, immediately accepts it. They always say the old is better. And, and so that's a natural thing. No one likes change. And this is, Jesus is really challenging them to change. He's really, really challenging them to think about what they do and why. And that's hard for some people to be changed. And I think that if, if the church, you know, we've moved from uh, organ music to contemporary Christian music, you know, to guitars and drums. That was a hard stretch for some people. But it's form, not, not biblical word of God. But we, what are we supposed to sit on in church, pews or chairs? Does God ever say? Thus saith the Lord, never sit on chairs in church. He didn't say that. But we get in our minds that a pew is the only way to go. And somehow pews are more spiritual than chairs, you know. So I hope as a church that we can continue to expand and contract. There's a time to contract, too, isn't there? We can see the church world expanding so much that, that no, all of a sudden there's no such thing as sin. Everything is okay. And that's not right either. So, but it's knowing from the, going back to not tradition of men. You know, if the things you do, if you begin to analyze those and you go, well, why don't, it's a great thing to sit down and say, why do I do this? Why do we do this? And why do we do it this way? And if you can't find the answer in the Word of God, Maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe it's good that you do that. Maybe it's something you're used to. Maybe it's not bad. But if you begin to lose flexibility to where you judge others by what you do, which is what they did, then, then maybe you need to reanalyze or reevaluate what you do and how you believe you're saved. Do you believe you're saved by your good works because you read your Bible through in a year, because you show up at prayer meeting, or do you believe you're saved by the grace of God? And it's by that grace I'm saved, and it's by that grace I have a relationship with Jesus, and it's by that grace that I get to know him. And I come to church on Sunday not because it's a sin not to. I come to church because I love to be here, because I want to gather. God draws me here. And, but there's people that can't make it to church on Sunday. They work. Well, sorry, you're going to hell. You can't be at church on Sunday. Oh, my goodness. That's why we have church Wednesday night. Right? I mean, and if we had someone else to preach it, we'd have church Saturday night. We could have church every night of the week. 
so that everybody would be without excuse. You can gather at some time with the people of God. So that's just the first example. That's not the last question. Let's go on. Are you still with me? Okay. Let your, let your religious practices, let your routines re- reflect what's going on on the inside, appropriateness of those things, not just living by the, the book, so to speak, the, the law, the, the rituals. Verse 23, now it happened that he, Jesus, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Oh, Jesus is probably watching them do that and just smile, and he knows what's coming. <clears throat> so the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So again, the question comes, man, we would never do that on the Sabbath. Your disciples are doing that. Why are you letting them do that, Jesus? You know it's wrong. So we got to ask a few questions. So it happened. This is, there's some time that has passed. That They're, they're walking uh, someplace. It's the Sabbath day. And as they're walking, the disciples begin to, uh, uh, they're walking through a grain field. Maybe it's wheat. Maybe it's barley. And they take little heads of grain and they, you know, roll them in their fingers to break the husk off. And then they pop them in their mouth. It's Jewish fast food. That's all it is. And they're walking along and eating. Well, the Pharisees have an issue with that. Why? Well, because the Pharisees had very strict set of rules for how one was to keep the Sabbath. Now, they had 39, if I get this right, 39 prohibited activities on the Sabbath. Now, again, you won't find this in God's Word. You couldn't sow, you couldn't plow, you couldn't reap, you couldn't bind, you couldn't thresh, you couldn't grind, you couldn't bake, you couldn't shear, you couldn't wash. Uh, wash wool, you couldn't tie or untie, you couldn't sew, you couldn't slaughter. Uh, by the way, it, uh, part of these things, you, you couldn't kindle a fire, you couldn't extinguish a fire, you couldn't demolish. Uh, that's why when we go to, to Israel, you get on the elevator on the Sabbath, and you know, you push the button on the elevator and a little light comes on, right, it, typically? Well, on the Sabbath, the elevator just goes floor to floor all by itself. It's, 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 it goes from being the express to the local. You know, it stops at every floor. And that's so that they don't have to push a button. Because when they push a button, the light comes on. And inside that light bulb, you have a filament. And that filament is heating up. It's a miniature fire. So if you push the button, guess what you've just done? You've kindled a fire. Can't do that. It's the Sabbath. So they have their ways to circumvent. By the way, you know what else you couldn't do on the Sabbath? Not that I recommend you do it anyway, but you couldn't spit. Do you know why you couldn't spit? Because the ground is dry and dusty. And if you spit, when that spit hits the ground, it creates a little crater. And then it rolls a little bit. And it creates a furrow. And you know what that is on the Sabbath? That's plowing. You think it's funny. But this was deadly serious that their righteousness depended. This is why Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This stuff, they had created a mess. And look, don't think it's just for them. I know churches today that have created themselves, have weaved for themselves a politics of mess through their rules and through their regulations that now they are bound to keep. We've been very, very careful here to try, because we have policies and things, but we're very careful because we realize we don't live by policies and bylaws. We live by the Spirit of the living God. And we never want our policies or procedures to somehow keep us from doing what the Spirit of God would want us to do. 
Because not everything fits into this nice little neat package. And so sometimes we help those that maybe others wouldn't help. Or sometimes we do things that maybe seem a little unorthodox because we feel the Spirit of God is letting us do that. Not leading us into sin. The Spirit of God would never lead us into sinning. So don't hear me say that. But we try not to get bound in by all these things. Uh, that, so to them, this was deadly serious. You couldn't spit. So, so when the disciples are walking through, and the Bible allowed, the Old Testament allowed for the poor to glean from the field. So they weren't, the issue wasn't, hey, why are they doing that? They're stealing from some guy's field. No, it was allowed in the Bible if you were walking through a field and you were hungry. Why are they eating this? Why are they doing this? Because they're hungry. That's why they're doing it. They're walking through, they're walking on the Sabbath, and they're hungry. And the Bible allowed for them to pluck grain and eat it. So they're not stealing from somebody. But the issue for the Pharisees was that they were harvesting. See, when you pluck that grain, that was reaping. And then when you roll it in your fingers to get the husk off, that's threshing. When that husk then, when you, when you let it go, that's winnowing. And, and then you've just harvested grain. And that was what was prohibited. Are you with me? Okay, that makes this a little bit clearer, I hope. So they say, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Jesus always has a great answer. It starts out with, have you never read? Now that almost is an insult. Almost. Because these are the guys that prided themselves on knowing exactly what the Old Testament said. They knew the the Bible inside, outside, upside down. They were the experts in everything the Bible said. That was their whole being was reading the Torah. And they go to not some obscure, Jesus goes to not some obscure biblical figure, but he goes to king, the king, King David. And he says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? Write a, write, put a little note under that or, or put an underline under that, in need and in hungry. And hungry. What did he do? And, he, and, and for those with him, now he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread which is, again, notice, not lawful to eat except for the priests and also gave some to those who were with him. So Jesus refers to an Old Testament story to justify what he's done. That, that here's, here's the king that they're not recognizing traveling with some of his men. And his men are hungry, and so they've plucked heads of grain, which to them is not lawful, and they're eating them. And Jesus says, you know what, guys? If you'd read your Bible, you'd know that David did the same thing when he and his guys were hungry. After they had fled from King Saul, King Saul was threatening to kill David. They had fled, and they come into the, to the tabernacle. And the showbread was uh, called for in the law. I think it's Leviticus 24. You can read about the making of what they call the showbread. It was 12 loaves of bread that the priests would make. And every Friday night, they would switch out the old loaves for the new loaves. They would have a table called the table of showbread. And they would lay these loaves of bread, these 12 loaves of bread out to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. They would lay them there and they would sit there before God for the whole week. And on the Sabbath, the priest would bring the fresh piping hot bread. I mean, it must have smelled so good. They would bring that fresh piping hot bread and they would take away the old loaves. But you know, the law said that only the priests could eat the showbread after it was taken from the table. So those 12 loaves were only, to, according to the law, only to be eaten by the priests. So David shows up. On the run, he's hungry. He says, my men and I were hungry. Yeah, you got any food? And uh, the priest looks around. I don't know. All we have is the showbread. And ultimately, he said, well, here, you, you can take this. That'd be like, you know, if we, our pantry was empty 
and, and someone comes in the church and they just have no food in their house. And we're like, all we got is the matzah and grape juice from communion. Oh, that was a dilemma. Well, which is more important? The fact that, well, I mean, this is communion elements. I mean, this is the, the grape juice and the, the matzah from the communion. I mean, can we, we can't just give that out, can we? I mean, that's sacred stuff. Well, this guy's starving to death. And you're going to say, nah, sorry, you know, we got this sacred food. I mean, it's food, but you can't have any. You see the dilemma? Which is more important, people's need or our rituals? Think about that. Which is more important to you? That'd be like coming to church on a Sunday morning and driving past someone who's got a flat tire. Go, oh, flat tire, I got to get to church. I mean, I, I've got to be at church. People have to see me there. You know, if we're not there for a couple of weeks, the pastor's going to call us. So I got I to be there. Or do you stop and help the person with their flat tire? It would probably be more spiritual to stop and help, help your neighbor when you see him in a ditch, so to speak, than to show up at church on time. We're, you know, be late if that's the case. Be late. So he said, this is what happened in the days of Abiathar, uh, the high priest. He, they ate, which wasn't lawful, um, except for the priest eat, and he also gave some to those who were with him. So no chance to respond. They don't come back, but, but, but. Um, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So they had, in their interpretation of it, they had totally missed even the purpose of the Sabbath. They had gone to the letter of the law and and created all these things and missed the heart of it. Folks, what's the heart of the Sabbath? It's for refreshment. It's for re-energizing yourself. Look, we only work five days a week and got two off. And the problem is we play so hard on one of those days off that we don't have time for church the next day. That's the challenge. You know, I can't. Sunday's my only day to sleep in. Well, because we got soccer early on Saturday, and I can't sleep in that day, so Sunday, it's just church. I can sleep in that day. We, we only have to work five days a week and still can't sort it out. The Sabbath, the day of rest, whether it's Sunday or Saturday or whatever day it is for you, it should be a day. I, I think the principle behind the Sabbath is if you're working seven days a week, you are going to wear out. And I, I have to take physician heal thyself. I have to take my own medicine in this because there's needs seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And I can't meet them all. I want, I want to stay healthy. I want to stay um, in, in a place of ministry. I don't want to burn out. I don't want to see you burn out. And we can so either the world is just grinding us down, right? I mean, this is part of the Sabbath was when they were slaves in Egypt. They didn't get any rest. And God says, I don't want, see, God says, I don't want you people to think of me as a slave driver. I'm not demanding like the Egyptians were. You work six days, but you make sure you take a day to recover from work. You make sure. Now, what, what's work for one person is hobby for another, right? Different people have different work. But the essence behind the Sabbath is not that God created. You know, why was the Sabbath? God, God created the world and all that was in it in six days. And the seventh day he rested, not because he said, Woo, man, am I whooped. I got to lay down. I mean, the Milky Way, that was tough. Forget about the other billion galaxies I also had to create on day one, you know. But he was, it was done. It was finished. The problem in our culture, our 24-7 culture, it feels like it's never finished. But there's some times where you just have to walk away because it never will be finished. It'll be there Monday. But that's the heart behind the Sabbath is that you need a day 
to recover, to rest from all the things you've been creating all week, all the chaos you've been creating, all the fires you've been putting out, all the work you've been doing. And in a day where you do something, uh, you, you, you spend some time reading, getting rejuvenated in God's Word. You spend some time you know, doing things that are building you up. You know, we live in a, a society where uh, we're, we're very much um, sleep-deprived. Would you agree? We are sleep-deprived. Um, that's why we have 11 o'clock service. So that those that say Sunday's my only day sleep in can sleep in and still get here by 11. Isn't that wonderful? We're just thinking about you. But they had the idea that somehow God created the Sabbath and then said, let's say how we can jam man and make this a huge burden for people to keep. I got this fly hanging around me here. He should take a Sabbath. But Jesus says, look, this is the, you guys have missed the point. The Sabbath is my gift to you. So that you know that you don't have to go seven days a week, 24 hours a day, that you can take a rest and not feel guilty about it. That's hard for me because I'm a worker. I love, to, I love to be busy. And so I have to force myself to take that day of rest because there's projects to be done. There's things to do. And sometimes I find rest riding my bicycle, which for you might be work. But for me, it's rest. Or for, for me, rest might be in the garden, you know, but that might be work for you if you own a farm. For me, work is having a day full of scheduled stuff where I just have one thing to the next. So my Sabbath day, I say, I don't want anything scheduled. I want to do whatever comes next. If I feel like laying down and taking a nap, I want to do that. If I feel like reading a book, I want to do that. If I feel like hopping on a bicycle, I want to do that. I want nothing that's scheduled. That's what I try to do. But enough about me. What about you? See, God made the Sabbath so you could have rest, so you could be recovered and refreshed. And he said, verse 28, he said, Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord uh, is the one who is in charge. The one who created it is the one who decides how it should get used. See, they had made themselves Lord of the Sabbath, hadn't they? They had decided for everybody else what everybody else is supposed to do or not do on the Sabbath. And, and then they could write, and they had their book of all the things that, all the rules that they'd added to the Bible. Look, if, you got, if you're involved or have been involved in a denomination that has the Bible and then has its book, and you spend more time in that book than you do in the Bible, something's wrong. And if you can't go back and figure out why you do what you do and read it in the pages of God, then maybe something's wrong. Jesus said, when it comes to the Sabbath, you guys have made yourself the rule makers, the deciders, but guess what? The one who created it is the one who decides how it's used. And so he would, in a, in a sense, he's showing that he's God. The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So, do you see Jesus making things a little bit simpler for us? You know, hey, when it comes, what do we do about the Sabbath? What do we worship? What do we, how do we do these things? Let love be your guide. Do you see people in need? You know, it's good if you see your donkey in a ditch on, on, the, on the Sabbath. You're going to get him out because it's nice to the donkey. He's happy. He doesn't have to wait there 24 hours. You see someone in need on the Sabbath day or on Sunday or on the day when it's okay to do good on your day off. It's okay to do good. It's okay to go help somebody. And I know, we get tired. I mean, church is like one more thing. Helping people is one more thing. But don't blame God. Blame the world. They're the ones trying to wear us out, you know. Used to be everything was closed on Sunday. Now Sunday is just another day of the week. Used to be nobody had sporting events on Sunday. 
Now, nobody cares. But here's the point. You see people in need, help them. That's, that's the rule. Let love be your guide. And you need rest. And if you're doing religious rituals, make sure the outside matches what's on the inside. Don't try to play games. Don't be hip, uh, hypocrite in that you've got to pretend you're happy when you're not. Wouldn't that go a long way to reducing hypocrisy in the church? And that's what Jesus is trying to say. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word because we'd be so confused by all the differences in religious rituals. Lord, I, help, I hope, I pray that we could just hang on to the simplicity of your word, that you give understanding to the simple and that we can see your heart, your character in these matters of religious ritual and cut through them, Lord, and just enjoy you. Lord, help us to, just to enjoy our relationship with you, that you are working in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure, not for the good pleasure of a religious system or a church denomination. Lord, help us to have the confidence and the courage to stand on your word. Nothing more, nothing less. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.